0: We have several visitors with us tonight and we thank you for being with us. It is an honor to have you. We hope that your being here is encouragement to us because you are encouragement by you being here. Uh, tonight, to conserve time, we'll give very little review of where. We- this. And it's interesting that he almost does it some sort of a way of almost personification. He almost uses this beverage, if you will, in a personified sense to say, think about whom you're following. And this is the 20th chapter beginning, well, verse one, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And so if we're looking at this in the sense that, that liquor is personified, the Lord says, I want you to know, if you're following liquor around, you're following someone that's making a mockery of you. You're following someone that's going to involve you in a lot of brawls in your life, and you're following someone in a direction that you ought not go. Now let's just picture this for just a moment. What if every day you followed someone else around, and that person you followed around actually spoke bad about you said, oh, oh, yeah, this guy followed me? He is. You wouldn't believe how bad he treats his wife. You wouldn't believe the things that he does whenever he's drunk. Why, he is a redemptive this guy. You wouldn't believe what a bad parent he is. You wouldn't believe how irresponsible he is at work. And you just imagine, this, you're standing right there behind this person. And you know, the other people are thinking, why does he hang out with this guy? All he's done is speak evil of him the whole time they've been together. The root of this word here, mockery, is the same as blasphemy. In other words, God's saying liquor talks about you. And what it says about you makes you look real foolish. Well, you're still following liquor around, and, and this guy, next thing you know, he has you in the middle of the fight with your family. Domestic violence. Wow, you say to yourself, I never intended to do that. But that's what it leads to sometimes. Next thing you know, you're, you're in a big conflict with your employer. Well, I, I used to be a pretty dependable employee, but now I find I'm running with this guy, and everywhere I follow this guy, he's getting me into trouble. Well, what's the problem? We're following one that the Lord says, if we're following in His direction, His leadership, we're being led astray. So in other words, God's saying, if you think that's the way to be led, if you think that is the life to lead, You're deceiving yourself. There's only mockery. There's only hardship. There's only conflict down that path, that type of life. Surely there has to be some help. Surely there has to be deliverance from all this destruction that alcohol brings in the lives of individuals. Tonight, let's think about some things that you and I could use as warnings to not enter into that path or if we have entered into that path, Let's think of some things that God would teach us by either principles or direct commands that would help us to see the need to turn away and even how to turn away from that path. When we look in Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, in Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, which was the text this morning, Notice verse 31, and it'll be on your screen. I'm going to read the verse 30 before it, and then we can read together along in 31. But if you have your Bibles open, we're in Proverbs 23. Notice what he says, especially in 31, but here beginning at 30. Those who linger, and he's just laid out in 29, the, the hardships that's going to bring in our life. And then you say, well, what creates these hardships? And he says, those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the wine, and it swirls, red. describing an intoxicating drink. And he says, "Don't look upon it." Now, think about, it. think about it right now. What can we do to not be misled by alcohol? Back in thirty, he says, "There's going to be those that linger around it." long around it. He says in the next half of verse 30, he says there's going to be some in search of I would think most of When you see that the drink is an intoxicating, really right to drink it or not? Well, you know I think one could social. And now listen to God for a minute. God, should I drink it? Don't even look at it. Try to justify, and God says, "Justify it." I don't. I don't want you for it. I don't want you standing around it. I don't even want you looking. The cause of Christ is to say, I want to distance myself from alcoholic beverages. Let's notice the second thing. As we look in Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, still the text for this morning, notice what he said in verse 35. Now, I'm simply using this as a launching point to really drive home the point straight from the Scriptures where we're about to read. So if you're about to think... Notice in 35, this is the individual, still in Proverbs 23. This is the individual that he was up on the mass and he got sick and he came down. In 35, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. And notice this. When shall I wake that I may seek another drink? Waking up with a hangover? Well, let's chase it away. And it's almost as if here the Lord's saying, Isn't that foolish? It's already caused so many problems in your life. He's led up to that. And he says, You honestly think the way to solve waking up with a hangover is to dive right into the substance that brought all these problems on? No, instead the Lord would say, Let's wake up spiritually. Turn with me if you will to Romans the thirteenth chapter. Romans, the 13th chapter, we're going to read verse 11 through 14. And as we read Romans, the 13th chapter, verse 11 through 14, it is such a powerful chapter that really helps us to place the emphasis where the emphasis needs to be. For example, we can say, why should someone not drink? It would be real easy to just say, well, it wouldn't be best. It wouldn't be right. It's wrong. It's a sin. Let's really get to the heart of the matter. If our heart has awakened and our heart is set up on the right direction, wouldn't those things such as drinking and drunkenness, wouldn't those things be turned away from because we have awakened to the right thing? And so please in heart. And if you're struggling with this, I, I beg you, take this passage back and, and study it because the answer to avoiding alcohol is not just alcohol. The answer is find the substance in life, which is Jesus Christ that makes life worth living. And when we find the substance that makes life worth living, it's going to be easier for us to see through the deception of the world and of Satan that says, "No, the life worth living, Find the gusto, it's in the bottle. Find the fun, it's in the wild parties. But if that person knows that their life is hid in Jesus Christ, we can see right through that deception. Here's how he says it. Paul says it in Romans 13. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Now let's give the setting here, make sure we're all on the same page in this study. Here he's given an analogy of what it is to be away from God. In other words, to be in the depths of sin. And here he says it's to be asleep. That's an interesting way to describe spiritual death. So an individual is they, they have sinned, very active in their life, they're not living their life for Jesus Christ, they're asleep. And he says, it's time. Now, how many of you parents have done that? You've done that a few mornings, haven't you? It's time to get up. You'll be doing it. Aren't you glad kids will be doing it in the morning? Time to get up. And and then and then the next thing you know, next thing you know, and adults, kids, you do the same thing with snooze buttons. Get up, I'll get 10 more minutes. Mm, get up. Oh, i get 10 more minutes. You see, he said there in verse 11, it's time. Then he says, it's high time. Time points to opportunity. High time means that that opportunity is short. That's what we do in the mornings. If we're the kind that hits the snooze button, it's time to get up. Well, we don't. Then all of a sudden, 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, we look at it and say, my window of opportunity to get up and to get to school, get to work on time, has become very short. And it's either now or I'm late. And oftentimes, that's when we jump up. Wasn't it interesting that Paul is using that same analogy? He says, you're asleep. But let me tell you something. It's time to get up. It's high time to get up. Why? You're going to be alive one less day on this earth than what you were yesterday. That's true for all of us. Our time is counting down. How are we going to use our life? Live our life for fleshly pleasures that in the long run is not actually pleasure at all. Only for the short season it is. Are we going to live our life for Jesus Christ, a life that makes a difference? And so here's what he says here. And, and we're working especially in verse 13 to see the things that need to be taken off. Look what he says in 12. The night is far speaking. Hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness. And we're going to have to define that out of verse 13, what some of those works of darkness might be. And let us put on the armor of light. Now usually we call this the Christian armor out of Ephesians. But isn't it interesting? Here he calls it the armor of light. Well, what is the darkness that needs to be cast off or cast out? He links together six sins, but he puts them in three sets. Notice these sets as we read in verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness. Revelry is a word that back to the idea that there were uh, parties, a party setting, a lot of drinking, maybe music, maybe dancing. And the idea behind revelry was especially, oftentimes the party would be taken to the streets. And they literally would take the party to other places. And sometime, this was even mixed in the realm of of paganism. And so they would have a deity that they would say, and perhaps even believe, that they were worshiping with this kind of drunkenness and sensual behavior combined together. And even though today we may not put it under uh, the disguise of paganism, it really is what we today have, in our American terms, have are called wild parties I mean it's that same concept it's it's bringing in the alcohol it's it's bringing in a lot of excitement that that usually the sensuality is mixed in to that well notice the next set remember this morning I, I told you that when we study through the New Testament we see that alcoholism and sensuality the Lord brings those together oftentimes uh, as he tells you the next set is not in lewdness and lust. Lewdness comes from two meanings. Lewdness comes from the idea of a couch and of a male seaman. And so you can conjure up your understanding from that. In other words, it was the idea of A man or woman going out to find somebody to lay down with. And so here he's talked about this wild party. He's talked about this drunkenness. And now he uses the word lewdness, which is all that surrounds fornication, that leads up to fornication. And then he says in the New King James, it says lust here. And really, by translation, that's probably not the best translation because epithymia is usually the Greek word that translates lust, and that's not the word here. The word here would probably help us to understand better what the original text was, was lasciviousness. And lasciviousness is all of the filth that surrounds that kind of thing. So in other words, he's talked about the party. He's talked about the drunkenness. He's talked about what the party's going to lead to, the lewdness. And then he talks about the filth that surrounds the lewdness. Just putting it out as it is. In our day and time, a part of that filth would be the strip bars. It would be uh, the nightclubs where the dress is so immodest and all of the movements are so vulgar and the intent is, is sensuality to everything. That is what exactly is meant by licentiousness, lasciviousness. Now, the next two, it's an interesting combination, not in strife and in Isn't it interesting that now we have these four things laid out for consideration to put them off? But what do these things oftentimes lead to? You remember the lesson this morning? Brawls, complaints, fighting. He says when we put those things off let's put off the strife also so if we put those things off it's going to put off a lot of strife in our life and also envy but notice the answer in verse 14 but put on the lord jesus christ and make now this is a huge phrase and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust and there we have the word lust in other words let's not do things Let's not go to the parties that's going to fulfill that lust. Let's not create the friendships that's going to fulfill that lust. Instead, let's build our life on Jesus Christ. So so far we see from the Scriptures the Lord saying, don't look at the stuff. Don't involve your life in the stuff. And then He says, wake up. Live a spiritual life, not a fleshly life. And the way we wake up is that last verse. Put on Jesus Christ. Repent. Be baptized into Christ. Arise to walk a new life. Now your life is not about the flesh. Your life is about Jesus Christ. And allow Him to be the guide and the master of your life. Let's go back now to Proverbs. Well, I tell you, I'm just going to mention to you, Proverbs 23 and 20 tells us not to associate with wine bibbers, not to hang with them. Let's go to 1 Peter the 4th chapter. 1 Peter the 4th chapter, and let's read a few verses there. 1 Peter the 4th chapter, and let's read 1 through 4. And what we're going to learn as we read this is that we need to be very careful with the friends that we run with. And the Lord would make it clear in the Scriptures that when friends have a lifestyle and a pattern of alcoholism, that is a dangerous friend for us to be running with on a regular basis. And somebody can say, now preacher, it's not about me. That's what the Word says. We can take that argument up with God. Somebody says, well, you just don't understand. I'm strong enough. I can run with them to clubs, and I just won't do it. The Bible says you can't. I remember teaching a young man for several years. I taught him from his sixth grade up to his twelfth grade. And I remember in about eighth grade, he started saying those lines. Well, I can run to those parties, and the truth is, I'm the one that can keep them out of trouble. If I don't go, they're going to drink and drive. They're going to kill themselves, and I've explained this to my parents. And it's okay with them, and they know that I'm not going to do anything. Well, any time in Bible class we studied passages like this, he would speak up and try to justify himself. I'd always say, I'm just teaching what the Bible teaches. You can practice whatever you want. This is what the Bible teaches. You know, it's interesting how that changed about his, junior year, his senior year and his first year of college. Well, you knew it was going to change. You can't run in those circles, in those crowds long term, and it not change your convictions. And this is what God is trying to teach us here. Notice the change that needs to take place in our life. First Peter, the fourth chapter. Let's read the first four verses. Therefore, and by the way, if you if you have time and, and want to this week. To link together the text that we've been looking through all through this study in Ephesians the fourth chapter, seventeen and following. You remember that that passage that we've looked at this morning and we've looked at it each time we've studied this, how he tells us not to walk as the Gentiles walked in the futility of their mind? Notice, think about the walk as the Gentiles and the futility of their mind. And let's read this together. Verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, that's what Jesus did, He gave of His flesh for us, arm yourselves also with the same mind. In other words, why did Jesus give His flesh? Because He wanted to do the will of God. Now let's arm ourselves with the same mind. Be willing to do the will of God. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time In the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Summed up, God sacrificed fleshly desires to live the will of God. We should sacrifice fleshly desires to live the will of God. And then this is a most interesting statement that he makes in the third and fourth verse. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. What a statement. Peter looks back and he says, enough's enough. We've lived long enough like the heathens. Let's at least give from here out to God. I hope all of us can say that this evening. I hope either we can tonight or we have said it sometime in the past and we've meant it. I've lived enough days for Satan. I've given him enough of my time. My time on this earth is short. It's valuable. And I love God. And I want to give my life to God, not to the ways of the flesh. And so that's what he's saying. And then he lists the ways that the Gentiles or the heathens, the way they live. Now notice this list here. He says, when we walked in lewdness. We've already talked about that. Lust, we've talked about that. Drunkenness, we've talked about that. Revelries, we've talked about that. And then to sum it up, Drinking parties. And finally, abominable idolatries. And that's interesting. Abominable is that which is unlawful. Idolatry is unlawful in the way of Jesus Christ. And so it's almost like an emphasis sake here. He's saying unlawful, unlawful things. Abominable idolatries. All of these things that's listed before here are heavily associated with the life of alcohol. God's the one that associates this. We've been from passage to passage. God associates these together. In other words, someone can't go and just live the lifestyle that surrounds alcohol, but yet that be the only thing. The other things always have a way of creeping in. And so we read on in verse 4. Now, now we're reading this passage here especially so we can note this. In other words, point number 3 of how to be delivered... It's not to run with those friends. So tonight someone is convicted and they stop running with those friends. What can you expect? They come up to you on Friday night and say, I'm so proud of you. We're going to go on, but I'm proud of you. I hope you stay home. I hope you go out and do some kind of church work. I'm so proud of you. You go on. That's the way to go. No, God says this is what they're going to say to you. In regard to these, they, talking about the heathens, that you used to run with, but now you run with Christ. They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dispensation, speaking evil of you. Are your peers at school going to understand when you don't run in their parties? God says they won't. They're not going to come up and say, that's cool, I understand you not doing that. They're going to think it's strange, and they're going to speak evil of you. Your peers at work, holiday season will be here soon. Certain parties you know to avoid. You avoid those parties. Your peers at work are going to come up and say, I'm so proud of you avoiding that party. Everybody there was drunk. No. They're going to go to the party and talk about you being too good to come to the party. Because that's the way God says those that live that life Look upon those that you... I wonder who's thinking, that's not fair. Oh yes, it is fair. Both passages we've read, he's tied it back to what Jesus did. If Jesus can suffer in the flesh to do the will of God, you and I can suffer in the flesh to do the will of God. Do we deserve to be mocked? No. No. Do we deserve for friends or acquaintances or co-workers to speak evil of us? No, not if we've chosen to do the right thing. But Jesus didn't deserve it either. Jesus was... He didn't deserve the beating. He didn't deserve the cross. But He warned us that we will receive some of the same things that He received. And so if we're going to be delivered from a life of alcoholism, we have to to stop running with individuals. That that is their intent and that is their purpose for living. Let's look to first 6 chapter and verse 12. 1 Corinthians the 6 chapter and verse 12. Not only should we be careful of the friends we choose, but if we're going to be delivered from this, we also have to choose a life of excellence. First Corinthians 6 and 12 says, Paul explaining, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. Notice that phrase. I love the King James here. All things are are not expedient. In other words, all things are not to an advantage. All things are lawful for me, but I'll not be brought under the power of any. He lists two things here that he's going to consider before he participates in anything. Even if somebody says there's nothing wrong with doing it, he's going to ask himself this. Is it going to be an advantage to the cause of Christ? Is social drinking an advantage to the cause of Christ? Your neighbor moves in next door. You want to invite them to church. Taking them a martini and an invitation to church, is that a, a good way to display Christ? Hey, neighbor, glad you're in town. Here's a six-pack. We've got a great church over there that really exalts Jesus. Hope you'll come. No. We all know that there is no advantage in Christianity with a life that's associated with alcoholism. This is what Paul is saying. He says, I want to involve my life in things that are an advantage to Jesus. They're helpful to Jesus. And then he says, I don't want to be brought under the power of any. We need to avoid things in our life that can take control of our life. Addictions are horrible. There's some in this room that you know beyond words the horror of addictions. And what's a shame is we'd have others in this room just because of your age, naiveness, that you just don't know the monster that addiction is. And if there was just some way we could show every person in this room the way it destroys lives and the way it destroys dreams and the way it destroys hope and the way it destroys those that the addict used to love but now abuses or neglects or steals from or- Paul said, I don't want to be involved in anything that would bring me under its power unless it's God. Unless it's God. Finally, let's look to Romans, the 14th chapter. Verse 13, and then we'll read verse 21. Therefore... Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. In 21, he summarizes this chapter by saying, It's good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or. And so we look at the the idea of a life of an individual that a part of their life is, is to drink alcohol. What if someone over here follows your example and they become addicted? That makes your influence a stumbling block. And I think it's interesting, 13, how he not only says a stumbling block, but he even says, are alcohols. In other words, Paul's looking at it and, and he's saying, not only do I want to make sure that I haven't caused a individual to stumble, an individual to stumble, he's saying, I want to make sure that I haven't even created a cause that later on when I turn my back to it, I see that somebody stumbled because that cause to stumble was there. In other words, Paul's saying, I just want to be reflective in my life at all times to make sure that other people can follow my example and they grow closer to God. Think about that. If somebody involved their life in the daily activities that I involve in my life, would they grow closer to God? When I am in the darkness of my home or out on a trip somewhere and I think nobody else is living and looking at what, how I'm living and they live their life just like I live my life, would they grow closer to God? If somebody involved their life in the substances that I involve in my life, would they grow closer to God? That's the limitless test that we all have to give ourselves. So we want to be delivered from this. It would help think about the example, the influence. There are peers watching us. There are children watching us. There are young Christians watching us. There are those in the world that are thinking about Christianity, but they're uncertain about it. And they're watching us. What will we do? The works of the flesh in Galatians 5. Drunken. There's not anything that's close to God about it. And I, I want to beg you. Look from an open heart into honest instruction. And let's all think long and hard. Let's all make sure that we're simply living by God's will. It's not our place to make law where God hasn't made law. But it is our place to live by the laws and the principles that God has given. And in so doing, it's not that we become handcuffed to live a miserable life. In so doing, our life is blessed because God always prospers those that submit to Him. Tonight, how's your life? Not just in this area or this subject, but in all things, how's your life? Have you been hitting a a snooze? Lord, I'm going to come back to you, but maybe next week. Maybe next month. Lord, I'm going to come back. Let's realize tonight that it's high time. The alarm's gone off long enough. Let's wake up and let's commit to Jesus wholeheartedly. If you've never been baptized into Christ for remission of sins, won't you do that tonight? Separated. You, you've fallen asleep when you ought to have been alert for the Lord. Wake up tonight. Let's leave here with our life wholly devoted to God. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.